Welcome to episode three of Diva Discourse. Today, we're going to be discussing Virgo's Groove. Beyonce's 2022 album, her industry-shocking, nightclub-electrifying, gay-boy boner of an album, Renaissance. And the album was unique in many ways for Beyonce. You know, I mean, all her albums tend to be unique, but this drew on the neo-electronic, kind of neo-R&B device of having tracks flow into each other. Virgo's groove takes place in the very center of the album. It follows the song Plastic Off the Sofa, which flows into it. And I think it's safe to say that the song is the crown jewel of Renaissance. There are 10 songwriters listed. I won't read them all. Beyonce is, of course, one of them. And three producers, Beyonce, The Dream, and Levin Kali. Now, I think we've in some ways already run out of adjectives, out of superlatives. And the reason that we are kind of beginning with uh, such descriptive fervor is because we are starting our episodes with songs we love. We'll eventually get to songs that we have more mixed reviews of. Totally. But I do think it's safe to say that (laughs) we are going to be effusive this episode. (laughs) This song is a masterpiece. Absolutely, an absolute confection of a track. It is so indulgently layered, it feels four-dimensional. And so during our last episode, you talked about how Beyonce proved through the song I Care that her voice is her instrument. This song not only furthers that, it consummates that with all the glorious expertise that I think Beyonce is capable of. This is her at her vocal apex. There's almost something Olympian about it, but it's not the Summer Olympics. It's the Winter Olympics. This is Beyonce's figure skating gold medal. Ooh, yes. The way she seamlessly, breathily, angelically riffs from heaven to earth during the last two minutes of the song. It had the judges who were judging this Olympic performance go from you know, kind of impressed to hard or wet, depending on the gender. I mean, this is what had them squirming with the light. This is 10, 10, 10 across the board. It really is. (laughs) And I love that you mentioned her going from heaven to earth because there really is a cosmic quality to this song. There's a great YouTube video by a vocal coach and voice analyst named Jerron Legrere who analyzes the vocals of the song. And when you watch him try and imitate the runs, and he does, I mean, he's great, he's so fun to watch. There are moments where he plays the song and just stops and gasps. She did another flip from up to down, from head to chest. And she came back down that way. So she went from that head, 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 chest, 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 <laughs> kind of like that, you know? The last two minutes are where she she really, her routine explodes into divine talent. Yes, yes. Around like the four minute mark, I'd say, you really feel like she's warmed the song up and now really gets to work. 
totally. And I think right at five minutes, there's a, a light clapping throughout the song, but at five minutes, the song stops and you actually hear. And then it's almost like her being like, now this is triple axel moment. Yes. One triple axel after another. Yes, and she just lets out a succession of notes. They loose themselves from her mouth like ribbons. Oh, that's a, such a lovely analogy. And it fits with this kind of swooning. It, it's snake-like, but it's not slithery. Right, it's sultry. It is sultry, and yet it's powerful. I mean, there's a reason why vocal coaches have honed in on this song on the album to analyze because what she does, her runs, they strain even professional voice coaches. Remember when Beyonce dropped Countdown, all the vocal coaches were doing tutorials of the run she does at the beginning? Virgo's groove is that run over and over again. But different versions of it. Different versions of it. But we were talking about, you know, the transition from plastic to Virgo. And I think it's absolutely essential to talk about that transition because in my opinion, I think it's the best transition of Renaissance. And I think it's a masterclass in sonic cohesion. There's this moment in the transition where the bass quickens, it builds anticipation. There's this rustle of chimes that really signals entry into like a new musical dimension. And it's just so seamless. Enzo, you and I listened to Renaissance together for the first time. And it was really marvelous to intentionally allow ourselves to premiere the songs, to do so together with each other, with people who are going to be impacted by it. It's really astounding that there was a moment in our lives when we hadn't heard Renaissance. Like, yeah. But it was a dark ages before we heard Renaissance. It was, yeah. <laughs> One of the things we did talk about was the fact that the song does age like a bottle of wine. And this is something that I think I really realized when I was doing research for this episode is that it took months for me to understand the song. The first time you hear the song, you understand 5% of it. It's a really spacious song. And when you listen to it, you hear harmonies and echoes layers that are so vast that you know you kind of marvel at the fact that you might have missed them the first 30 or 40 listens i feel like the word odyssey is like just a perfect descriptor for it to me it feels like you drift through the song like it's a universe it's a dreamscape it's almost like a disco dreamscape i wrote lush synthetic dreamscape in my notes oh my god once again <laughs> an overlap <laughs> i really think of virgo as the sonic and thematic epicenter of Renaissance. It comes around the middle of the album, and I feel like it's where all of the album's influences and references really collide. It's the point where its nostalgic sensibilities really meet its more forward-thinking musical ambitions. And I think in that way, it's the most retro-futuristic song on the album. One song I think it was clearly influenced by is Evelyn Champagne King's Love Come Down. That synth especially, that's, that kicks off the song, is so reminiscent of the synth on that song. But here it sounds like that synth has been passed through 
a glitchy time machine. It sounds robotic. You can almost hear the pixels on it. And it also has this creeping trance-like vaporwave synth that goes on in the background. I didn't even hear it until probably my hundredth listen. It's just like a perfect detail. And another example of how this song rewards re-listens. This song both evokes Beyonce's past and the artists who she has learned from and looked up to. I think when we're speaking about the genre of kind of like funk, disco, D'Angelo-esque Beyonce, you know, Virgo's groove is Rocket's graduation, just like Rocket is one plus one's graduation, which itself is Speechless's graduation. There's a there's mm. a lineage here, you know, where Beyonce attempts to do, um, you know, Prince's international lover, D'Angelo's Untitled. From the very beginning of her career, post-Destiny's Child, you have Speechless as early as 2003, culminating in Virgo's groove 20 years later. That's such a great point. I never thought of it that way. There really is a genealogy working here. Virgo's groove is rocket on ecstasy. <laughs> you know, you finished the sex and now you're ready to just dance in your bedroom. And a little bit more about this song's historical arc. So we'll continue to cite this artist because she's so seminal to a great deal of Beyonce's discography and certainly to the song, and that's Donna Summer. Now the extent to which Donna Summer was innovative is not only important to note, but it's difficult to imagine if you weren't there at the time. The length of her songs, they dazzled the decade. Uh, take her song, Try Me, I Know We Can Make It, which I hear as a sort of precursor to Virgo's groove. It's nearly 18 minutes long. I mean, incomprehensible at the time. Again, an innovation of the genre that has been adopted by Beyonce, but I think Beyonce is at her best when she also allows herself to really inhabit a kind of spacious, eternal-seeming song. Inhabits it and marinates in it. Yes. And there are so many different Beyoncés on this song. It's a whole chorus of Beyoncés. Yeah. We get that often, especially you know in this phase in her career when she's doing all of her own background vocals. But here you really feel like she is playing every character in the school play. <laughs> When you look back at videos of Beyonce singing with Destiny's Child when they were in their teens and 20s, you, it can be kind of almost uncomfortable because you can watch her reacting to any note they sing that's slightly off key. And you realize that Beyonce is happiest when she is her own backup singer because she is <laughs> perfect that way. And she leaned into that as her songs went on. But here she really is doing, I mean, incredible harmonies. There's four, five, six. I mean, the layering is phenomenal, but it's also really specifically chosen. You might have a line repeated three times and the vocal backings are just on one. An example of that, an instance of that musical nuance is when she's saying, if you got somebody, love somebody, 
love somebody, baby. You'll notice that only the middle love somebody is layered with the choruses. The other two aren't, and they're all syncopated. It's that kind of finesse that gives this song its texture and kind of like oceanic depth. I love the extent to which Beyonce is backing Beyonce in the song, but it's also being really playful as that initial, ooh, yeah, at the very beginning. Yes. <laughs> and I love the background vocals repeating her lines throughout the song. Maybe you can hit this, don't be scared. It really encourages a call and response from the fans. Absolutely. Actually, one of um, my favorite moments of listening to the song in public was when you and I were at the Gay Bar Playhouse in the West Village and the song was played at the very end of the night. Right? I was about like, the exact same thing. <laughs> it must have been four in the morning and the song comes on and we go crazy. We're like the only ones on the dance floor. <laughs> There's a video of us singing, baby, you can hit this, don't be scared. I know. <laughs> One thing that I didn't even catch until quite recently is at the very, very end of the song, the vocals start to die down. Uh, she does her last riff. And finally, almost imperceptibly, she sings in a lower register and just goes, uh. yes. And it's kind of the vocal equivalent of a mic drop. Mm. It's like very cocky. She's like brushing it off her shoulder. But it's a perfect way to like end such an athletic song. I love that. There's a lot of us throughout the song, I think, in a higher register. But those, I think, were more reminiscent of Janet Jackson's brother. You know, Michael Jackson was famous for his ah, ah, things. And, and I think like Beyonce does a almost like a, a more melodic rendition of that. There's a lot of us in the song. And what I love is that often the song will stop for them. Your hands, your hands are strong. So dance all night long to the crowd, baby, feel the beat. Uh, don't you leave me. Don't you this last uh, though, to me, is very influenced by Jay-Z. The difference between Michael Jackson's us uh, and Jay-Z's are that Michael's were imbued with this energetic, earnest person. And Jay-Z's are very nonchalant. And I feel like it's that latter energy Beyonce is channeling at the very end of Virgo. Ten, ten, ten across the <laughs> Can you believe we spent a full minute talking about us? <laughs> We're maniacs. <laughs> it's a great way to spend a Saturday night. <laughs> there was a really nice interview in Variety with three young producers who were scouted for this song. Levin Kali, Sol was, and Daniel Memi. And they described what it was like to work on this album and specifically to work on Virgo's Groove. One thing Levin Kali said was that the opportunity to work on Renaissance was divine timing. And I'm quoting him, it was like a two to three year process it's not like we made a song and sent it in and she recorded it and it was done. It was an incredibly collaborative process and it took a long time to really make it work in the context of the project as a whole. 
but uh, Levin talked about the collaborativeness of the process. And what he said is, B does a really crazy job of just making sure everyone is focused on the right things. There are mood boards everywhere, but really the whole experience is a mood board. It's almost like method acting where you go in there, it's immediately clear what the goal is, even the way people are dressed and what colors are being used. It's also in the conversations you hear, whether it's about videos or wardrobe or anything. You immediately know the vibe is futuristic. It's groovy house music, very sexy. I mean, can you imagine the outfits they were wearing? What were they wearing? That was the most intriguing part of the interview for me. Like, I imagine it wasn't even just the clothes. It must, it must have been something in the atmosphere. What did it smell like? What, was, what did the room look like? Like, how were things decorated? Absolutely. I mean, this had to have been an immersive process because a song like Virgo's Groove isn't part of the pop industrial complex. It's not written to sell. This is written to pull you into a universe. The Virgo's universe. Try singing the last two minutes of the song. Try karaoke it. (laughs) By the way, listeners, if you can hear background noise, New York City noise, it's because we're not yet fancy enough to afford a studio, so we're recording this in a room. You're getting a true New York City experience. Yeah, we try and stop when there's horns and sirens, but there's always something. Think of it as cinema verite. So since this is a very new song, we only have one set of live performances to talk about, and that's Beyonce singing Virgo's Groove on her Renaissance World Tour, which began in May this year and ended on October 1st. So this part of the show, of course, because Beyonce did the album in order, Virgo is preceded by Plastic Off the Sofa. And Beyonce emerges on stage in a sparkling silver seashell. She's wearing this beautiful, now iconic, bodysuit by Loewe. It has two gloved hands printed on the body, one covering the breast, one covering the abdomen. And the immediate reference that you get is Sandra Botticelli's The Birth of Venus, which is one of the most iconic paintings of the Renaissance. So in that painting, Venus is rising out of the ocean on a seashell, and her hands are placed on her body in the exact same position that the Loewe bodysuit hands are. And so in this moment, Beyonce is casting herself as the goddess of love. You know, Beyonce has always loved her goddess imagery. She famously uh, channeled the Yoruba goddess Oshun for her performance of Love Drought at the Grammys, where she wore that beautiful golden halo. I feel like the hands in the Renaissance tour become an important motif for divinity because later in the show, when she performs Move, her dancers move their hands behind her, where she almost looks like a Hindu deity. Something that did strike me, this is a song where she sits in her oyster shell while her dancers dance. This is a moment of her staying much stiller on this tour than she was in previous tours. And and I'm fairly certain that if this song had been released 
in 2011 or 13 or 16 that she would have danced during the song. I think her decision not to dance fits into the goddess theme of this chapter of the show because she is Venus in repose. She's Venus Urbino and Manes Olympia rolled into one. She's a sacred and the profane. But you know, even musically, the song, this is, first of all, this is a shortened version of Virgo's Groove. It's the most uh, sample-infused song she does on the tour. But even with all those samples, and we'll discuss them in a second, this song is only two-thirds the length of Virgo's Groove live. She doesn't do a lot of the complicated runs, and yet she's sitting still. I would have been happy for her to drop all the samples, all the interpolations, and have her sing this from beginning to end, going as hard as she could. I imagine that there's maybe a chance her, vo- her vocal wellness instructor was like, if you do that, you will damage yourself. I mean, yeah, to every sing single this, night. Yeah. yeah. Well, this leads us to, I think, the most astounding part of the live performance, I think, is when he does those samples and riffs on her past songs. It, it's such a delightful Easter egg for the true fans. <laughs> this song as almost a, uh, a silvery ribbon to wrap together and through her discography. She, I mean, she goes from 1999 to 2013. Yeah, it's that lineage you talked about earlier. She does Say My Name, Speechless, Rocket, Cater to You, Signs, Dance for You, Samples Donna Summer, Via Naughty Girl. Right. It's almost like she's having an orgasm so powerful that her life is flashing before her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's cue our Mama Tina music. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome. To Mama Tina's hair salon. <laughs> oh gosh, people are going to judge me so hard for this. I'm such a nerd. I'm so sorry. The woman that I think for Groove was written for is none other than Queen Guinevere from Arthurian legend. And King Arthur has just left the castle with his bros, with his knights of the round table, and she's calling up Lancelot to baby come over because her chambers are open and she wants him to hit it there and there, then flip her over, then hit it there again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, it's so good. My special guest at Mama Tina's hair salon is Beyonce at age 18. Mm. This song to me was written for Beyonce right before she became so consumed by her iconic status in the world. 
that she couldn't fully let herself go. This was Beyonce sitting in the studio, having a communion with her 18-year-old self, almost forgetting everything that happened in between, really connecting to her female desires, her sexual, her romantic desires, but in a manner so removed from her conspicuous relationship to the zeitgeist and to scrutiny and to the rigor that she brings to everything. This was her almost saying, welcome back, time to be free. Yeah, and the the lesson the Virgo needs to learn eventually in life is how to let go. Yes. Okay, we are going to leave you with just 10 seconds of some of the best riffs on Virgo's group. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy. Finish off by that delightful ah. Uh. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs>